Let's turn in the Bible to the book of Haggai. And I'm going to admit that I don't know how to pronounce that book either, so you're going to just hear me keep saying Haggai. It is one of the minor prophets, the third one from the end of the Old Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can turn in the Pew Bible to page 868. H-A-G-G-A-I. I've heard Haggai, I've heard Haggai. Thank you. I've heard Haggai, I've heard Haggai. I'm going to keep saying Haggai, but that's where we're at today. We're going to look at the first uh, 11 verses this morning. Haggai is a really short book, only two chapters, only 38 uh, verses in the whole book, other than Obadiah, which we did several weeks ago. It's the shortest of the minor prophets, uh, really, really short book, but you're going to like it. It, it like, like I said last week, was Zephaniah, the past couple weeks was Zephaniah, is one of those books that you may not know much about. You may think, I've never read this book before. I've never heard a sermon on this book before. But you're going to see today that it is really good. You know what Haggai is really all about? Priorities. It's a little book in the Old Testament tucked away that we have neglected so many times. And it's on priorities. I don't know about you, but I need to hear sermons all the time about priorities. When you're talking about priorities, what you're really getting down to is what do you say yes to and what do you say no to? I don't know if you've ever heard it simplified that much, but that's really what priorities are all about. What do you say yes to and what do you say no to? And if you wanted to make that even simpler, here's what priorities are really about. What do you say no to? Because the things you say no to is what puts you in position to say yes to other things. It's possible for a, for a mom to be such a good mom that she's all in on her kids. You don't get in the way of her kids. Her kids get everything that they need and all of that. But she is so all in on her kids that she's not giving enough attention to herself. And that would be a misplaced priority. That she would be so all in on her children that she's not given any priority to her husband, and that would be a misplaced priority. It's possible for a man to be honest and full of conviction and have work ethic and work hard, and yet do that so very much that just looking at him, you would think, man, he is such a great guy. He works hard. He works all the time. But he does so much of that that there is something neglected over there, and so he has not said no here so that he could say yes there, and so it's a misplaced priority. It's possible for all of us to struggle with saying no. And if we struggle with saying no to certain things, that means that we find ourselves saying yes to things that we really kind of wish we weren't saying yes to. Not that they're altogether bad. Now, maybe we're saying yes to things that we just straight up know are wrong and we shouldn't be saying yes to, and that's kind of a different thing. But things that are kind of, well, it's a good thing, but I, I really shouldn't do that. Is it good to settle down and take a nap every once in a while? Absolutely. I hope you do. The Lord gives to his beloved sleep. But two naps a day, seven days a week, while the trash needs to be taken out or the dishes need to be done or the kids need to be invested in, probably need to say no to that, right? So priorities are really about what do we say no to and what do we say yes to. 
Now, getting us to this point right here is rather, rather easy. We all can acknowledge, yeah, he's right. You know, we all need to have our priorities in order. But doing that, making the adjustment to say no when we ought to say no and yes when we ought to say yes, so that our priorities are in the right perspective is a much difficult, much more difficult issue. And yet, this morning, I've not even mentioned God being the number one top priority. And there's really no question about that. And yes, we have to work, and yes, we have to uh, take care of family, and yes, we have to uh, do all of the things that we know good people are supposed to do. But what if we're doing so many of those things that the number one priority of God and his priorities, hear me, hear me say that, that God's priorities has been neglected. It is absolutely possible for us to have our priorities completely out of order and we're doing good things. Will you admit that? Will you agree with me? You may be full of doing good things, helpful things, things that really build up somebody else, and yet your priorities be out of order. It's possible. That's why I had our scripture reading, which Cedric read, come from Galatians 1, because at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, am I, am I trying to please man? It says, if I was still trying to please man instead of God, then I could not be a servant of Christ. The child of God that follows Christ understands perspective, understands priorities, and is willing to say no to good things so that we might say yes to the most important things in our life. I'm not here today to necessarily say what are the most important things for you, for we're all different. Some of you right now may very well have a, have a parent or a grandparent that needs a lot of attention from you right now. And that needs to be a top priority. Some of you right now may have little children in your home. And that, you know, takes a ton of your attention and priority. I know that. For some of you right now, you need to be spending more. For some of you right now, you need to be spending less. Right? It all just depends. We're all, we're all different. God's got us in different places. But the point is that we need to have our priorities in order. And we really can't until we start looking at what God's priorities are. On Sunday evenings, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and back a few weeks ago, we were at Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 6, after he has talked about how the flowers of the field are always clothed, and the birds are always fed, Jesus says you should not worry about what you're going to wear. God will make sure that's provided. You should not worry about what you're going to eat. God will make sure that is provided. And Jesus says this quote, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things would be worldly concerns like the food and the clothing and whatever else. But over and above those things, which are good priorities, you do have to eat. You do have to make sure you've got on clothes. Those are important. 
But over and above those things, there is a priority in God's mind that overrides all priorities. That's God. Church, there cannot be something in your life that you're more committed to than God. And if there is, then your priorities are out of order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The book of Haggai is about priorities. And before I read the passage, I want to read this quote to you. It says, Haggai's message to the post-exile community of Israel is one that the church of the 21st century needs to reflect on. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is for us, as it was for them, a calling that runs the risk, listen, of being eclipsed by self-serving interests. Far too often the affluence of God's people, rather than encouraging a self-imposed measure of personal sacrifice in order to advance the cause of God's work in this world, leads instead, listen, to a hoarding of resources and to an ugly self-indulgence. The book of Haggai vividly points out this inconsistency and calls for the people of God to move beyond such worldly ways of thinking. Read with me, if you will, Haggai chapter 1. In the sixth month of Darius the king, I mean, sorry, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Ever since the attack of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon upon the people of Israel, the temple had been destroyed and it had been a desire of God and a desire of God's people for them to build it back. God's people did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit like we do now. That didn't happen in the history of God until Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes to live in God's people. If we are truly Christians and born again, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But that was not happening before the book of Acts. So God's presence, listen, was with his people by God dwelling in the temple. And they were to recognize that this house of God, this temple, that's why this is not a temple. Our body is the temple. And I I think that you all know that. It's just a building here. We the people are the church. I didn't really want to go there this morning, but I think everybody gets that, right? That's why the temple for them represented the presence of God. And so the temple was this nice thing that they built the way God had told them to. They had it all looking good. And for anybody anywhere that saw that, it represented God has a people and God comes and visits and dwells with his people. Well, because of their sin, which we've heard about through many of these minor prophets, God raised up a pagan nation to come and attack them. And when they came and attacked them, they destroyed the temple. And so it looks to everybody like, yeah, right, God's with you all. Yeah, right, he's your Lord and Father. Yeah, right, he takes care of you and protects you and fights for you. Yeah, right. 
I mean, look at this thing that you say is the house of God. It's destroyed. And so it had been their priority to build it back. If you read the books of Ezra, perhaps you want to do that this week. Ezra and Nehemiah. It goes along with Zephaniah and especially here with Haggai. And you will see in reading um, Ezra that you will see that what I'm talking about here today fits exactly with what's going on in Ezra. It's a small book. You could read it this week. But the message came from God through Haggai to the governor of Judah and to the high priest. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. If you were to turn to Ezra, here's what it says. That they had gotten ready, they're about to rebuild it, they got everybody in place, we're about, to, we're about to build the temple. And then these other people show up and they say, I don't know. I don't know if you should, I don't know if right now is the right time. And they start discouraging the rebuilding of the temple. And so now Haggai comes to them saying, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so they're met with a little bit of a dilemma, a little bit of a crossroads. Do we move forward with what we think we're supposed to do even though there's some opposition? Do we do what we think God's told us to do even though these people are telling us not to? And so in turn, what do they have to do? They have to figure out What is their priority, right? In the face of discouragement, they have to figure out what is their priority. I got two points today. Number one is God is the top priority. If you're here today and you think, well, I know that God is the top priority, well, then let me say a little bit more. What you need to understand then is that when we say God is the top priority, that means that we have now committed ourselves to understand what God's priorities are. It is inconsistent, incomplete to say God's my top priority, but we don't know what God's priorities are. For I can't take on God's priorities in my life until I understand what his priorities are. And we understand God's priorities through his word, through being a part of his church, and understanding his word better. And so perhaps you know that God's a top priority, but God is not your priority. You just know that he's the priority because you have not grown enough or committed yourself enough to understand what his priorities are. So here at verse 2, we have the message that these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So you see what happens here. God has a quick response To what those people say. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? God says to them, If you don't think it's time to rebuild my house, do you really believe that your house is more important than my house? What a thought. Now remember, do not make the exact uh, analogy that the temple is the church, okay? I'm not asking you to think, are the windows at your house better than the windows at this house? Are the carpet at your house better than the carpet at this house? I'm not asking you to make that direct analogy, okay? 
For the temple to them represented the presence of God. So if you want to make the analogy in your mind, I want you to make the comparison to the priorities of God, to the work of God, to the cause of God, to the advancement of the kingdom, to the movement of the church, that we would cause people to believe in Jesus, that we would cause people to see that God is true and that he's right, that he changes lives and that he brings peace, those sort of things. Don't think buildings. God asked them, is it a time, if it's not time to rebuild it, because that's what they were buying into, well then is it a time for you to just keep building your house and nice paneled houses while this house that represents God Almighty, your maker, lays in ruins? Is it a time for that, he asks? And obviously the question is, No. But the question is so obviously no that you don't even really answer that, right? You don't say no, God. You kind of take a step back and realize my priorities aren't in order. I say I'm a person of God. I say the temple represents the presence of God and yet I'm okay with it just lying destroyed. That cannot be right. This is what the book of Haggai is all about. So look at verse 5. God says through Haggai, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. What a thought. Consider your ways. In other words, God has said, Okay, I've laid before you here that you know you're supposed to rebuild the temple, but there's a little bit of opposition. Those people say that you shouldn't, and now's not the right time. And so now you're uh, waffling. You're not sure whether you want to rebuild the temple or not, but all the while, you're definitely going to make sure you keep building your house. You're definitely going to make sure you keep building your life and your name and your bank account and and, and your recognition. You're going to do that, but you're not sure if it's the right time to prioritize me, God says. I know it's Haggai. I know this was 2,500 years ago. It's 6th century B.C. But this sounds like it could be Josh Green's biography. It sounds like this could be our lives. Oh, that we would really be students and believers and readers of God's holy word because it is applicable for our lives. So God says to their hesitating that consider your ways. I want to ask you here today, when it comes to the priorities in your life, do you ever take time to consider if your priorities are in the right place? Have you thought about what your yeses go toward and what your noes go toward? Have you thought about why you say no to those things so that you can say yes to this? Have you thought about all the things that you wish you could be doing? Because I think we all have a few things in that category of, I really wish I could do that. Listen to this. When Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness was spoken by Jesus to his disciples in the face of clothing and food and shelter. 
Consider this. Such a view on life appears to have been for Jesus' disciples an entirely new and unexpected concept. One both liberating in its potential but no less intimidating in its demands. His disciples shared a natural inclination to worry about the basic necessities of life and so do we. A significant portion of their waking hours was spent providing for such basic family essentials as food, clothing, and shelter. But, listen, these concerns, if not balanced by a sense of urgency with regard to the service of God, can easily undermine a proper sense of what is actually most important in life. Namely, the advancement of the kingdom of God. In fact... Preoccupation with such concerns can lead to a type of personal decision-making, okay, that focuses first on meeting your temporal human needs and then offers God only what is left over after essential matters of personal security and comfort have first been decided and determined. This is not, however, the path of authentic discipleship. God is not Lord if God is not first. Christ is not king if we come to him after we've bowed our heart, knee, and devotion to everything else. This is the question that Haggai the prophet brings to God's people as God is seeing that the temple is not being built. You know how when we start talking about death and funerals, that that seems to put all things in perspective? You know how when we start talking about, like, if this was your last day on earth and you knew that, what would you do? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you know, when we start saying that... You know why that's true? It's because we know that after death we stand before God. And our priorities are then automatically put into perspective. Church, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And that while he was hanging on the cross, he agonized over the fact that he was not a sinner. And that this meant that God was putting our sins on him, the righteous for the unrighteous, the holy for the unholy. And that in doing that, God was then judging our sins in Christ on the cross. Surely you know that something that real, that significant, cannot be second fiddle, cannot be uh, on the back burner, cannot be just kind of, sort of important to us. God gave his son. And if you have come to believe that, and by believing that I mean bowed your knee, uh, surrendered your heart, cried out to him, that regardless of all the struggles this life gives you, that God that saved you is more important than anything else. God is the top priority. But as you know, life is hard And life is difficult, 
And we do get so busy and so overwhelmed that we find ourselves struggling to keep God as the top priority. And we all would admit that here this morning. And so it's good that he says, consider your ways. So my first point is God is the top priority. And my second point, I only have two points today, is consider your ways. Look what he says to them in verse 6. You've sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This sounds like 2019. I know it's an old book and people say the the Bible's old, but this sounds like us today. We are doing so much And we feel like it's not getting us anywhere. So what God is wanting us to see is that what you're doing cannot be the main thing. It can't be. Do not let that be the case. In one verse, Haggai 1.6, he gives five examples of the person that is running around, wearing themselves out, thinking that this or that or this or that is the most important thing in the world, and it's not. And if you are doing that, then it probably means, thinking back to my yes or no priority thing, if you're doing so much of that, you're probably saying, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't even have the desire to do these things, and these things are what matter. This is God over here, and we're doing all of that. And Haggai is saying, don't. Haggai is saying, open your eyes, consider your ways. seems to me like God through Haggai or Haggai from God hears all of our Facebook posts or hears all of our whining that we hear today. Just think about these phrases, man, I'm just out here trying to make a dollar, just trying to make ends meet, just trying to get ahead, but it seems like no matter how much I do, I can never get ahead. And every time I take one step in this direction, something happens and moves me back there. I can't seem to catch a break. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. We've all heard all these phrases. Perhaps we've said these phrases. Perhaps you're here today feeling that way. It's like Haggai knows that's how we talk. It's like Haggai knows that's how we live. It's definitely the case that God knows that. And so he comes to us with a simple reminder. Consider your ways. It's trying to make enough money to be able to Move forward your top priority, and yet after all that money that you've made, you don't have any. You ever heard people bash millionaires? You hear that, don't you? You know that if you make a hundred grand in ten years, you know how much you've made? A million. You know that, don't you? Hundred grand times ten is a million. You ever heard people say, man, if I, had, if I had a million bucks, I tell you what, those millionaires, they sure do, I tell you. You know, 10 years with 100 grand means a million. You know what 20 years at 50 grand means? A million. Let's get our priorities in order. We need to consider our ways. Where did it go? You mean to tell me in the last 10 years you made over a million dollars? Where is it? Well, you got to show for it. 
You still complaining? Think about that. We got to show for all of that. This is what God says. You ate, but you're still hungry, and you drank, but you didn't feel full, and you got a whole closet full of clothes, but I guarantee you said, I don't have anything to wear. I need to run out this weekend and get something. We got a wedding. We got a wedding this afternoon. I got to make sure I get me a new shirt for that. I said that this week. Thought about getting a new shirt, new socks, new shoes. Thought about getting everything. God is saying we are so caught up in whatever all that is that reasoning that those things are justifiable and good, and they are, they're not bad, certainly, but it's kind of bumped out God. I mean, it is hard to do homework and eat dinner and watch the ball game and do laundry or whatever else, much less make a ball practice or go to something at the school or whatever, and yet make bedtime. That's hard, isn't it? And realistically, there, there, there isn't really time. Listen, realistically, there is not really time for you to stop and get everybody calmed down and do a quick little read a Bible verse together and take five minutes to process it, just five, and then pray. There's not time for that with all that we've got to do. I mean, I know that. I live that. There is not time for that. So God says, consider that situation and think about what you wish was the case. What if some of that was bumped out? What if you just said, we're going to bed late tonight? Consider what is more important. It's crazy to me how quickly life is zooming past. You know, I used to say that we we have our zoo membership and we love to go to the zoo and we take kids to the zoo all the time. And then this week I saw a picture of ours from when we were at the zoo and JJ looked like he was like four. He's 11. And it kind of got my mind thinking that I haven't been to the zoo with my kids, I think, in years. Years already. I mean, we go trick-or-treating on Halloween. But other than that, we haven't been. I haven't seen the lemurs or the giraffes or the polar bear in a long time. And if I don't get my priorities in order, you know what? It's going to be too late. And I don't mean my family. I mean my soul. If I don't get my life centered on Jesus, it's going to be too late. I don't know how many days I got. You know how many days you've got? God says, consider your ways. He doesn't say you're out there living it up, living in sin. He says you're eating, you're drinking, you're clothing, you're working. That's what he says, but... The priority of God's not there. He says, consider your ways. So look here, verse 7. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says it again for the second time. And look what he says to do. I love this. This this reminds me of my dad. You know, God's a father. This reminds me of my dad, right? Sometimes the Bible gets so spiritual you can't connect to it. But check out Haggai, verse 8. Go up to the hills, bring the wood, and build the house. That's how my dad would have talked. It wouldn't have been anything fluffy. I told you to go do it, now do it. That's what he would have said. And I don't know the tone that God says this with. It's coming from God through Haggai. But look what he says. You're supposed to rebuild the temple. You haven't rebuilt the temple. You're more concerned about your own house. You've got reason why you don't think the timing's right on rebuilding the temple, which represents me with you. Here's what you need to do. Consider your ways for the second time. Now go up there, get some wood, and come back and build it. There's wood up there in that forest. Go get it and come back and build it. But here's why that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Y'all, that's the goal. That's the priority. That's what children of God want. We want God to be pleased. We want God to be worshipped. We want our lives to show that he is glorious. And you know what makes that happen? When our priorities say God is the most valuable thing. God looks glorious when my life reflects God is valuable to me. God looks worthless when he has zero place in your life, when he is literally the last priority. When we come to church once every two months because we had volleyball and a doctor and a birthday and a plumber and every single one of those things, it looks like we cannot worship God if the toilet needs to be fixed. We cannot worship God if my kid has another ball practice, another one. That's what, that's what, that's what priorities demonstrate. Where God has taught his people For him to be the number one priority in our lives. And he's taught his people that only one service a week we gather together to worship him. To give of our offerings. To sing together. To look around and say, man, they're here today. I hope they're doing well, growing with the Lord. To find somebody during a greeting time or after in the parking lot and say, hey, how you been doing? Now you got a lot going on. You know, Heather Ezell is here today. She wasn't here Wednesday night. Went through some major, major foot surgery. And at her job, she has to stand on her feet. She was off work for like six weeks. She came over to surgery. And now she had to go back to work this week. And on Wednesday night, when when our church gathered here, we sat downstairs and prayed for Heather Ezell. Even though she wasn't here, we prayed for her because we know her. We love her. We remember her. We want her faith to be growing. We want her heart to be trusting in God as the top priority. And so we prayed, God, we know she's back at work. We know that's got to be so hard standing on her feet for 10 hours a day. And we pray, God, that you'd give her strength and her body would be able to handle that and that you would give her faith and, and, and everything to go through it. And she wasn't here. So when I walked in this morning and I saw her sitting right over there, I went over there I said, Heather, how's it going? How did work go this week? Did you make it through it? Did you have to, did you have to quit? Was it strong enough? She said, you know, it was, it was hard but I made it through it. Those types of things, caring, loving, feeling, desiring for God to be working in our midst show that the things of God are a priority to us. Indifference towards the things that God prioritizes does not make God look glorious, does not make God look valuable, ultimately makes it seem like God isn't anything. Our priorities show what matters. 
Our priorities show what is valuable. God says, there's the wood up there in the forest. Go get some. Come back and build it. I'll be pleased. I'll be glorified. And if Jesus has saved you from your sins, don't you want that? Don't you want God to be pleased? Verse 9 You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. There, he said it. Y'all, God has been opposing them. Now, I can't speak directly to if the trials in your life is owed to God directly opposing you. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm a preacher that just says what the Bible says. Prophets get a fresh word from God. We don't have any prophets these days. But Haggai told them that God said the reason why you're struggling, the reason why you are frustrated, the reason why you eat and don't get full and drink and don't get full and work and don't get full and try to save all that money and you don't really have anything to show for, the reason why that's your life is because I'm opposing you and keeping it from happening because you're not wanting it for my sake, you're wanting it for your sake, and that's not what life's about. Haggai said that, and God just comes straight out and says it here at the end of verse 9. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. It's about priorities. God is here saying that what is important in God's eyes must be important in our eyes. And to think, listen to me, to think that we have our own issues that are more important, our own desires are more important than God's, really doesn't understand how big and great and glorious God is. It it, it doesn't take in how much he loves us. I brought some Legos with me here today. I don't know if y'all or into Legos or not, but we are. It's one of my favorite ones ever. This is an Indian here. It's got the headdress and the awesome feathers out the back. And right there on the, it's a mother. And right there on the back, she's got the little baby Lego right there, the little tiny baby Lego on the back right there. And I, I love that. It's one of my favorite ones. I got another one here that's Michael Jordan, home and away. Don't need to say much about that. Really probably shouldn't have even brought him, but. And then I got this one here. This is an awesome one. This is a big one. This is Lego. This is Incredible Hulk. Kids know who he is. You probably all do. Super strong guy, and he's big. You see how big he is. You know, you have to build Legos. They don't come put together like that. You have to put them together, and and you play with them, and you get to do all these different things with them. And, you know, when you're playing with a little man like that, you're in charge, aren't you? You can make him do whatever you want. I could... I could say, Hulk's flying, and throw him over there to you all. I could say, Michael Jordan missed a shot, which, eh, you know, maybe not. But, um, you know, we can do whatever we want with, with men like that. It's like we're in charge of it. And I didn't, like, make them make them. I'm not the creator of Lego. But when I'm playing with them, I can do with them whatever I want. And you and I, listen, cannot even gr- grasp or consider... That this guy would turn around and say, Josh, I don't want to do that today. I want to go do this. 
We can't even consider that this little thing that I made, which we know that this thing's not alive and real, but picture if it were alive and real and I was the maker over it and it did whatever, but it did what I told it to do, we can't even imagine that this huge gap from this little thing to this big man me being able, this thing being able to tell me I can't do that or I don't want to do that or I have no interest, Josh, in what you want me to do. And the gap from that size to this size is a lot smaller than the gap from me or you to our maker. It's kind of hard to picture, isn't it? Because it looks like I got a lot of power over somebody this small. But the gap from that to me is so much smaller than the gap from me or you to God. And when you and I dare And I know we don't directly say it. It goes back to that yes-no thing. But when you and I are more concerned with ourselves than we are with God, we really do not have him prioritized. We've missed that. We're out of place. Verse 10 says, Therefore... The heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all their labors. God just says to them, until you get back focused on me, I'm not going to let you advance. I'm in the way. Now, again, I can't necessarily say that's what God's doing, but it could be. You may be sensing that or feeling that, and instead of saying to God, like, God, why aren't you helping me? God wants us to turn ourselves to him. Look what it says right there in verse 12, the very next verse, and we're done. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, look what it says. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Folks, that'll be next week's sermon. But they considered their ways. He said it twice to them. They considered their ways. They stopped to think. They thought deeply to the point of feeling conviction, to the point of evaluating the yeses and the noes. And then they moved in the direction of God being the priority. Folks, that needs to be us. That's what should happen every single Sunday morning as the church reunites and unites here for worship. We hear the gospel afresh. We sing songs. We seek the Lord in prayer. And we are reminded through the Holy Spirit's power and through the truth, God is my number one. He's alpha. He's omega. He is everything to me. And I want to orient my life to follow him. Now the strength and power for that comes when you surrender to him and trust in Christ. Through the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. And if you're here today and you realize I need to consider my ways. I hear verse 5, I hear verse 7, and, and, and while I do believe in God, he is not my top priority. 
If that's you here today, you need to consider changing. And by changing, I mean repenting and turning to God and saying, God, forgive me of living that way. Forgive me for having my life in that order. And now, by the power of Jesus, give me strength to live as you are my top priority and most valuable to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the beginning of Haggai. Thank you for the the call to consider our ways. And Father, help us. Give us strength to believe that you're our top priority. To live like you're our top priority. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us conviction. And in our conviction, we would turn to you. Father, help us to be able to see clearly what we say yes to that we shouldn't. Help us to see clearly what we need to say no to. Help us to be honest, God, that our frustrations could very well be from a lack of priorities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.